I come bringing greetings from the other 60 churches in the Presbytery of East Tennessee. Greetings from its pastors, greetings from its office, and greetings from its beautiful camp. Today's scripture is about the church helping the church. And First Presbyterian is a prime example of being a good helper to other churches. Thank you. Most of the churches in our presbytery are small. Most are other, under 100 members. Most have 20 to 30 showing up for worship on Sunday morning. First Church Knoxville has a long history of glad and generous hearts. You share what you have. You share through your financial giving. You share through the time and energy in the work of the presbytery that you participate in. You share so much with our other churches in the Presbytery. You follow the example of the original first church that we're going to be reading about today. So on behalf of the Presbytery of East Tennessee, thank you for being first. The New Testament reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They, the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Would that we all always ate our food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray. Almighty God, give us glad and generous hearts as we feast upon your word and upon this fellowship. Bring us closer together in the echoes and memories of your very first church that we might be good shepherds to all. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for having me here today. It's an honor to stand in the pulpit of First Presbyterian Church, Knoxville. Would there even be a Knoxville if First Presbyterian Church hadn't taken root in the turnip patch? Where would all those bodies be buried if not in your graveyard? You have a marvelous history which you celebrate without trying to recreate. Celebrate without trying to recreate. You're looking past your own street corner of church and state and asking, where do we need to go now? Who do we need to be now, today, tomorrow? Your sister and brother Presbyterians across the area need First Church to lead the way. That's what the one who is first does. As the transitional general presbyter and stated clerk for the Presbytery of our 61 churches here in East Tennessee, I turn in a lot of mileage receipts. Last Sunday, I was at another First Presbyterian church, First Presbyterian in Soddy Daisy, Tennessee. Have any of y'all been there? Oh, beautiful place. 
Turnips and soddy daisies. Sounds like a bag salad at Trader Joe's. <laughs> the two firsts, Knoxville and Soddy Daisy, probably will never get together over a potluck dinner, probably will never come together to really decide who's first over the sacred sport of church softball. But if you did get the urge to take a road trip, to meet each other, you would find that you firsts aren't really that different. You're both just vegetation from different vines, both sprung from God's rich Presbyterian soil in one of the most beautiful patches of land on earth. The turnip people and the daisy heads have more in common than you know. Today's scripture is about another first church. I'd like to think they were Presbyterians, they just didn't know it yet. The scripture today is about how the church, the whole church, sprung up from the seeds of those first Christians ever. What do we have in common with those first people? The first ones who sat through the first sermons, had the first fellowship hour, and formed the first committees. What did those firsters do? And how do we rank in comparison? Fans of big foam fingers know how to finish this sentence. We're number... Nobody remembers who came in second, maybe in a presidential election, but unless you're on Jeopardy, knowing the second place finishers isn't going to impress the ladies or the men. I saw a recent study on the internet, so I know it's true. <laughs> Scientists, and definitely not 14-year-old boys, ranked all 50 states by sinfulness. Who do you think is the number one most sinful state? Who's first in sin? Sorry, Washington, D.C., you don't qualify. Professionals can't compete with amateurs. Nevada. Nevada scores for greed and laziness broke the curve. Tennessee's the seventh most sinful state. Behind Texas, but ahead of Illinois. We do rank number two on the anger and hatred index, and that was before the last legislature. Just a few more incendiary bumper stickers and we can move up. Look out, Texas, the volunteers are coming back. <laughs> according to Luke, in his sequel to the gospel, according to, known as the Book of Acts, the first Christian church did not act sinful at all. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. He says they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. Don't they sound like nice people? The kind at the very bottom of the sin standings? The kind you want your children to marry? 
top-notch folks, except that part that they didn't believe in private ownership of property and, quote, would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. I mean, that sounds sweet, but obviously, if you keep selling off your possessions, pretty soon you won't have any left. And then your parents will always have to support you. Maybe it was a one-time thing. Maybe it was a going out of sin sale. That's what rich young rulers always ask. Is selling all your stuff and giving money to the poor a requirement? The thing is, it's not about the people asking that question. It's not about double-stuffed us. It's about providing for the poor as any have need. Their belly's fuel gauge is more important than our sin ranking. Which reminds me, do you know which state came in last, the least sinful? Wyoming. I'm guessing it's because they have to drive so far to find anybody to be sinful with. <laughs> when life's just buffalo roaming and deer and antelope playing, it's easier to stay undefiled. The first Christians were not people of means. None of them owned an extra donkey for weekend getaways or recreational watercraft. So when they sold what they had, it might have bought a number one combo at Chick-fil-A. This makes me wonder about the historical accuracy of Luke's memory. Now, in terms of diabolically bursting your faith bubble, atheists rank way down low. Up near the top have to be seminary professors. My New Testament professor wrote a lot of books and avoided sins of the flesh like smiling, He took glee in proving to us that our Sunday school teachers back home didn't know Jack, or at least didn't know Luke. He told us that this passage was probably more aspirational than authentic reporting. In other words, Luke knew how to lay it on thick in order to make a good story sound better. After all, Luke was a preacher, and you know how they are. The professor told us that historically, the early church wasn't that much of a kumbaya kind of place. And if you read the rest of Acts, as well as Paul's letters, this is undeniable. Those first Christian people had no problem fighting with each other, had no problem splitting into factions, had no problem keeping whatever stuff they had for themselves. The Bible itself, and Luke himself proves that they weren't nearly as altruistic as this passage makes them sound. So, is Luke lying? Well, think about how many times someone has asked you, how are you? And you answer, fine, even though your scorecard of things to add up to fine is pretty empty. You may say, First Presbyterian Church is the best church in the whole world. But have you really visited all the others? 
Think about how much better everyone sounds at their funeral. Maybe First Church selling their possessions and giving the proceeds to the poor was the dream, the goal, the vision statement. What we do know for sure is that these First Church people were real church people. They may have been saints, but not one of them was sinless. Some were better Christians than we are. Others, not so much. If you compared all churches by that sinful scale, ranking this first church against that first church, or this first church against the second, or the third, or the fourth church, the law of averages says that in the end, we'd all come out somewhere near the middle. Why? Because we're people. And people are sinful. But sometimes people surprise you. Surprising things happen when people devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and to selling possessions to care for those in need. Now, don't think this lets anyone off the hook. Comparatively rich people are and will always be on the hook. If your neighbor needs help, you help them, period. That's the first church way. So, back to the original question. What do we have in common with those first first church people? The answer, on average, is a lot. Being average disciples is normal. We're not number one, we're not the best, we're not the worst. We're average, and that's, that's okay. But people being people, we will compare ourselves to others. But even then, when we get all wrapped up in the rankings, we can be comforted in knowing that no matter what, at least we're better than Nevada. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for reminding us that we're really not that much better or that much worse than anybody, that we're all in need of your love and care. Help us to follow the example of the first first church and to be the best first church that we could ever be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray. Shepherding God in a dangerous world, let us hear your voice and come and go through your gate. We pray for the whole church that we may be devoted to your word and to universal fellowship, being generous to all who have need. 
We pray for the earth, for green pastures and still waters, that we may restore them to the goodness and purity that they had at the time that you created them. We pray for the people of the world, their nations and leaders, that your wisdom and peace may govern all so that no one will fear. We pray for all those in need, for those in want, those ill, and those dying, that we may be the banquet that you set before them as we anoint them, feed them, and comfort them in your name. We pray for ourselves, our families, and those we love. May no one live in fear. May all dwell in your presence. Blessed are you, great shepherd, who through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit gives us goodness and mercy, leads us down right paths, and restores our souls. We ask all this in the name of Christ, who taught us when we pray together to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Sisters and brothers, our God has prepared a table before us, and our cup overflows. So let us give generously from our common wealth as our way of praising God and giving to those in need. <clears throat> 